What are your plans for your business this year? Hey, it's Tug. Do you want to expand and grow? Aren't you exhausted by going to lenders, building a relationship, and a week later, you got a new person to deal with? You have to start all over again? You don't have that with First Liberty Building and Loan. The Frost family has been helping businesses grow since the 90s, and they want to know you. Unlike big banks, they want to partner with you. The Frost family knows the patterns. They know the ebbs and flows. They know business. Get to know them at FirstLibertyGA.com. Building a building? Buying a building? Buying a franchise? Expanding? Reach out to them. Spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a fit for them and if they're a fit for you. You do that at FirstLibertyGA.com. And by the way, if you're a young banker and want to work with a team that is faith-friendly and has a culture of excellence, First Liberty might be a good match. Reach out to them today. First Liberty Building and Loan. FirstLibertyGA.com. That's FirstLibertyGA.com. All right, before I get to my next guest, John Cook, I want to give a shout-out to our friends over at the Ben Hogan Golf Company. When Ben Hogan founded his company in 1953, his mission was to make the finest golf equipment in the world. And that remains their mission today. They forge every club they make to provide the feel and feedback investment clubs simply can't provide. And their craftsmen micromanufacture each club to your exacting specifications in their Fort Worth, Texas factory. You'll only find Ben Hogan Golf Equipment at BenHoganGolf.com. Visit them online today to learn more about their great products and their great prices. And folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by our friends over at the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. All right, now joining me here on Next on the T is Champions Tour Pro and Sirius XM radio host John Cook. Let me give you some background on John. He's from Toledo, Ohio, but grew up in Southern California. He went back and played his college golf at Ohio State, where he was a three-time All-American. He helped them win three consecutive Big Ten titles from 1977 to 1979 and the 1979 National Championship. He won six individual titles while he was at Ohio State. He also won the Les Bolstad Award for the lowest stroke average in the conference each year from 1977 to 1979. And he was inducted into their Hall of Fame in 1986. John won the U.S. Amateur Championship in 1978 and finished second to Mark O'Meara in 79. He won several amateur championships, including the California State Am in 1975 and the Ohio Amateur in 1978 and 79. He turned pro later that year in 79. He won his first PGA Tour event in 1981 at the Bing Crosby National Pro-Am by beating Hale Irwin, Bobby Clampett, Ben Crenshaw, and Barney Thompson in a playoff. Won again in 1983 at the Canadian Open, this time beating Johnny Miller in a playoff. In all, John won 11 times on the PGA Tour and 10 times so far on the Champions Tour. He has seven top 10 finishes in majors. He was named the 1992 PGA Tour Comeback Player of the Year. In 2013, he was inducted into the Southern California Golf Association's Hall of Fame. And now you can hear John on his show, Connected with John Cook, on SiriusXM's PGA Tour channel, and I'm very excited. He is with me tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, John, thanks for coming on the show. My pleasure, Chris, and I uh, appreciate you having me follow my great friend, Bob Friend. Always a great follow. Always. And Bob was very complimentary of you, John. Uh, At the beginning when when he uh, came on, he said, uh, 
not only did he admire you, uh, but also what a what a beautiful golf swing you had, and mm-hmm. it, was, you know, it was fantastic in its simplicity. So very complimentary of you. Well, he's a good he's a good man, great family, and uh, always enjoyed being around Bob and being in Pittsburgh and, and playing at Oakmont and playing in some of the events that he had. So uh, I, I'm happy to follow Bob and glad he had a kid that went to Ohio State. You like that? <laughs> well, John, I, I want to start by going back to when you first got introduced to the game. I know your dad, Jim, was a, a PGA Tour official, but, you know, you were a pretty good all-around athlete as a young man. Talk about uh, your introduction to the game of golf and why you ended up sticking with that over the other sports. Uh, it, it started a long, long time ago. We were still living in Ohio at the time. My dad. I uh, was a high school and college football coach around the state, ended up at uh, Ohio State as a, as a football coach, up to Akron University as a football coach and a baseball coach, and then took a job with Firestone. And at the time, you know, this is, you know, I'm five or six years old, and uh, dad had just took a position with Firestone. And as an employee of the Firestone Tire and Rubber Company, you could join Firestone Country Club for uh, a fee of $300 a year. And uh, wow. he got uh, my sister and I into the junior program just to, you know, just to go down and hit some golf balls and learn about the game. Uh, and uh, that's kind of how we started. It was, you know, way back when in the junior program at Firestone, uh, dad got moved out, uh, moved us out to California when I was in the third grade. Uh, so I uh, me- don't remember a whole lot about Akron, Ohio. But uh, he certainly uh, got us involved in, in the game. Uh, also, when we got to California, obviously, you could play uh, sports all season. So I played football. I played basketball. Uh, I did play some baseball, but it kind of interfered with my golf. And uh, football and basketball were great complementary games to, um, to the game of golf. And uh, so I stuck with that uh, through high school. Uh, football, I, I played up until my uh, after until my junior year of, of high school, and then I kind of moved on. And actually, my my football coach was also our high school golf coach, and he thought that I would be better served as a golfer instead of a trying to be a quarterback or a or a safety. Um, and then basketball, I played through high school, so uh, it just was you know we're an athletic family. Dad was a you know a, kind of a, a four letter. Um, four-year athletes. Uh, they're in the Columbus area. So uh, athletics were a big part of our family and um, still love, you know, watching and playing all sports. But uh, as I kind of grew up and grew, grew along in, into high school um, and just kind of decided that uh, golf is going to give me a better avenue to get into college and, and get a college education. Um, I wasn't I'm, I'm six foot and 150 pounds. I wasn't going to be any Division One quarterback, and I certainly wasn't Division One basketball player. Although I could, I could shoot the eyes out of it. There's no doubt about that. But uh, I could, uh, I, I golf gave me a, a, a greater opportunity, and then my association with Ken Venturi also certainly helped as I, I just got better and better at, at the game uh, as I went through high school and felt like I just got better and better. Um, almost every single year that I played through college and on in the professional level. And you mentioned Ken Venturi. When did you first start working with Mr. Venturi? 
Uh, I was 14 when uh, I got introduced to Kenny. Uh, he was a big auto racing fan, and my father with Firestone uh, was the head of the Firestone uh, racing division, and they they got to be friendly from uh, Firestone Country Club, but also through the years of uh, Kenny just being around racetracks and uh, being a you know, great fan of the, of the sport of auto racing. Um, my dad uh, invited him up to a, a tire testing up at Laguna Speaker Raceway. Uh, I think that, you know, finally Jones and Al Unser and, and uh, you know, that, that whole crew with uh, Mario Andretti, they were testing tires up at Laguna Seca. And Kenny had a, a Cobra, AC Cobra, one of the first ones that you see. Um, and uh, he, uh, he, he took it up there. My dad put some tires on for him and let him run around the racetrack and, you know, of course, uh, Kenny wanted to reciprocate in some way, and my dad just said, hey, we just joined Mission Host Country Club. Uh, I know you're the director of golf there. I got a 14-year-old son, pretty good player. Thought, da she's one of those things. And Kenny said, oh, yeah, just bring them out. We'll have a look at them. And uh, from there, we, uh, we met, and uh, we started a, a relationship, and it, it, didn't, it didn't end until he, you know, passed away. Uh, in 2013, so it's uh, you know, it's 40 years of uh, just learning the game and talking the game, and uh, just uh, I was uh, just so blessed and uh, to have Kenny in my life as as my mentor and my coach. He was somebody I could talk to. Um, I listened to him. I watched. I observed. I listened to his stories, why he did things, uh, and um, you know, I just was uh, so influenced by. You know, his great knowledge of the game and influenced by my father's knowledge of just how to be better at what I was trying to do. And, John, besides the X's and O's of the golf swing, what's something that that Kenny shared with you that uh, whether it was an advice, a story, something along those lines that just always stuck with you? You know, it's interesting, Chris, that uh, we if I was working on something, we would go hit balls. Um, but if we really weren't working on anything, it, it was very simple. He had very simple thoughts. Uh, my, my, my swing is very simple. Uh, it, it, it got more simple as I got, you know, from 14 to 18, as my body was growing and I was getting stronger, uh, I didn't have to manipulate the club. Um, I could, you know, as I was getting stronger, my body would start to take over. And so little adjustments were along the way. Uh, and those just kind of happened. Um, so if we were working on something, we would go hit balls. But Chris, mainly what we did was we played a lot of golf, and uh, we talked a lot of golf on the golf course. Uh, we would, I, I would go warm up, and Kenny would just say, "I'll meet you on the first tee in 30 minutes," and off we went. And we would just play, 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 play. And we talked about shots. We talked about strategies. We talked about hole location. We talked about shaping shots, uh, what side of the tee um, to go to. Uh, why uh, you went to one side of the tee, and uh, you know, just you know, very basic uh, fundamentals of the game. And once you got a grasp of those fundamentals, uh, and you got confident in your uh, process, uh, then you know you just go play golf. So basically, what he always tried to get me to do was get my my golf swing and my routine from the practice tee to the first tee. And from then on, I just, I observed, we played, and boy, did we play a lot of golf balls together. It was, it was a lot of fun. 
Um, you know, at the time he could still really play and really hit golf shots. And, you know, the kind of the better he played, the more excited he got. And, you know, he got, he started to get competitive. And it was, it was just great fun to be around him and, and play that many, that many holes of golf with him. When you're preparing to play in a golf tournament like you are this coming weekend or, or you're out in the middle of a golf tournament and it, can you still hear him? Can you still hear him in your head saying things to you if, if something starts to go wrong or as you're trying to strategize on how to play a golf hole, can you hear his voice in your head? I, I believe I can, Chris, and just because the, the basic notes that I would take as we were working on things or we were playing were very simple, and they were still the same notes. So I, I have, a shoe bo- have a shoe box full of scorecards and notepads, and they all say the same thing. So if I ever get off a little bit, uh, I know exactly what to do. Um, you know, one, when one swing thought, one simple thought, and, uh, and you, you kind of can get back on track. I don't get uh, too far off track. Um, I don't compete much anymore. So it's more of a, you know, an anxiety thing for me. Um, but like this week, uh, playing here in Branson, um, you know, I'm excited to play. I've been playing. Uh, I've been, you know, through this whole pen, uh, pandemic, I've, been lucky enough that our club was open and I played a lot of golf and I feel like, you know, I'm fairly prepared, but, you know, my expectations is so high uh, because of my past career, but then I have to lower those expectations because I don't play, you know, with these great players that often. So it's fun to be out with them. Um, I'll, I'll be, you know, I hopefully hope to be competitive these couple weeks and maybe, you know, I'll get better and better each, each round that I play. Uh, I'm not expecting a whole lot, and but I'm expecting to you know, enjoy myself and being being back out competing because that's what I did for so long, and uh, that's what Kenny instilled in me is if you're going to go compete, you know, <laughs> go try to win. Um, I'm not saying that because these great players have played a lot more competitive golf than I have the last three or four years, but uh, uh, I, I know where my game is. And I feel I feel confident in my game. Just have to go out and trust and stay out of my own way. That's my big deal, Chris. Is getting <laughs> in my own way. Just, uh, just go play like I'm playing with you know playing with my buddies. And uh, if I can do that, you know what? I'll I'll, I'll have a good time for these uh, these next two weeks. John, I want to take you back to your time at at Ohio State. And I read that both Jack Nicholas and Tom Weiskopf lobbied to get you to go play at Ohio State. What was it like being uh, re- essentially recruited by those two guys? You know, it's funny that, uh, you know, back in those days, you could help recruit. And uh, so uh, Coach Brown, I, I had played in the 1974 U.S. Amateur as a 16-year-old. I qualified, and I got paired in a practice round with uh, with uh, two uh, Ohio two alumni from Ohio State, Mike uh, Mike Good and and uh, Fritz Smith, and they were, you know, of course, great friends with the coach, uh, Coach Jim Brown. And you know, I, of course, I loved Ohio State because my you know, father coached there. We were big, you know, we we were the basically the contingent of Ohio State fans in Southern California and Trojan Nation, which wasn't easy in those days uh, to, to be the uh, to, to be the the alumni there, but. You know, I'd always been uh, interested in Ohio State, and uh, sure enough, I got a couple letters from the coach. Uh, I did receive a, uh, a a beautiful letter from uh, from Jack, 
um, you know, talking about the, you know, the great talking points of Ohio State and, you know, all of that. And then and Tom Weisskopf would call me. He would call the, you know, the back in those days, there's no cell phone. So it was, he'd call the house line and, you know, I'd be sitting at dinner with the family and, you know, on whatever night it would be. And, you know, Tom Weisskopf, my sister would get up from the dinner table and answer the phone and, there was, uh, hey, uh, this is Tom Weisskopf. Is John is John around? <laughs> and my sister Kathy would look at me. She also went to Ohio State. She was an academic All-American there with Meg Mallon and Rosie Jones. But uh, she would look at me and go, John, Tom Weisskopf's on the phone for you. Like one of those things. <laughs> it just was, <laughs> you know, it was kind of meant to be. And Tom and I got to be great friends. And, uh, you know, I took all my recruiting trips and, you know, I, just being a Southern Cal kid, I mean, I was a real UCLA fan. Um, I wasn't much of a USC fan, but, you know, I got recruited by them. They were a great golf program at the time. Uh, UCLA was just getting started. Arizona State, uh, I was very, very interested in, um, you know, a couple other schools. And, and uh, Ohio State came along. And I just, you know, I kind of started weighing things. And if I was ever going to get better, and this is one of the things that my father told me if you ever want to get better you got to go challenge yourself you got to get out you got to get outside of your comfort zone and my comfort zone was beautiful weather dome golf uh, all of that if I wanted to get better I had to learn to play in some abnormal conditions and that certainly was the case in Columbus sometimes um, but a great program there played a great schedule Jim Brown coach Jim Brown recruited a, a, a great golf team there everybody on that golf team uh, basically, were uh, were great athletes. Uh, they played other sports all the way through high school. They excelled at other sports through high school. They they, they knew what the meaning of team was, and uh, to recruit a kid out of Southern California kind of opened the doors for him. And we all got along. We had uh, you know two great players from Michigan, a couple from Canada, a wonderful you know two wonderful players from New York, uh, Mark Balin, Joey Sindelar. Um, you know, so we, he, he molded a team that was, uh, you know, really good at being a team, competitive because they wanted to win as a team. Uh, and But we all knew our individual talents and our individual places on that team, uh, just like you would in basketball or you would in hockey or you would in football. And uh, that's what the great thing about going to Ohio State was. And you guys win a national championship in 1979. What was that like? You know, it was so, so fun that, uh, you know, long story short, in 1978, we were the number one team in the country. We won a lot of golf tournaments, and we beat the best players and the best teams, and we went to the NCAAs in Oregon at Eugene Country Club, and we just kind of spit the bit. It was awful. Um, and uh, we, some of us have played early in the week in the U.S. Open qualifier that was after the Sunny Hannah in, uh, in Pennsylvania and then flew across, and we just weren't prepared to play. And the next year, we, we had a really nice season, and we were so, so um, devoted. And, and uh, you know, just we wanted to win. Uh, we, we knew we could win, and uh, we were so focused on winning the, the national championship that uh, nothing got in our way. And uh, when we did it in, in horrible conditions on uh, the last the last round, we were down at Bermuda Run uh, at Lake Forest down in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Uh, if anybody remembers that, that Black Friday at Muirfield where 
you know, Tom Watson shot 69 and nobody else broke, I think, 75 or something. Um, we played that day down in North Carolina. It wasn't much better, I can promise you that. But we were, you know, we were accustomed to that. We were prepared for it. We came from a, a few shots down, um, and uh, we, we, we passed uh, Oklahoma State and uh, ended up winning the national championship. And I can't even tell you what that meant. It's, uh, you know, I, I hold a putter on the last hole, um, you know, that uh, kind of sealed our win. And I, I remember the, the team kind of running across the green and, it just was. It was like you taking me back to basketball and hitting the winning shot, or taking me back to football. You know, throwing, you know, throwing that, uh, you know, the little slant that uh, scored a touchdown. It just was. It, it just brought you back to such you know, great team sport, and that's why we. That's why we all went to, to college was to play and represent an institution like Ohio State, and uh, you know, we were so so proud. You know, not to just win, but to win for the coach and to win for the for the university. And you were prepared for that kind of win because in 78, you win the U.S. Amateur Championship. You beat Scott Hoke 5-4. and four. Um, Thinking back on, on that, that week and, and uh, what, what it amounts to as a major championship victory, I, I think, in, uh, for most folks, talk about what you remember about, uh, about that and getting to hoist that trophy. Yeah, it was really something. Uh, Bobby Clampett was the clear number one uh, as an amateur. Uh, in 78. He was as good a player maybe as there was on the planet. I mean, he was, he was that good. Uh, he contended in professional events. Uh, he was the clear number one uh, that year in, in amateur golf. Uh, he got to the semis. Uh, Scott beat him uh, on the 20th hole in the, uh, in the semifinal. I beat uh, uh, a kid and uh, a great old friend of ours, uh, Mike Peck, went on to Stanford. Uh, he, play, he was playing at Stanford. I beat him in 20 holes. Uh, so it was uh, down to Scott and I. And I, I just, I was so prepared that week to play. I spent a week by myself at Muirfield uh, there in Columbus, just hitting golf balls, playing golf, just working on my game. I was, I was so prepared to play um, that uh, I just, uh, I went out and just, it, it's kind of like, being around the uh, Tiger uh, for for so many years, that he didn't prepare the week of the event. He prepared the week or two before the event, and that's why when he got to any event, he didn't have to think about anything but playing golf. He didn't have to think about his golf game. He didn't have to think about anything. And that's kind of how I felt there in 1978. I was so prepared to play that uh, when I got to Plainfield in New Jersey, I didn't even think about anything other than beating my opponent beating the golf course and I beat the golf course, you know, for, for six days in a row. And, uh, and Scott, uh, was just the, the, the last one standing and, um, I had him down pretty good and he won a couple holes, uh, on the back nine to make it five and four. Otherwise I'd, I'd have walked him in pretty early, but, uh, he was a great competitor. He's still a great friend. Um, I would love to have him as a partner anytime, uh, anywhere, um, Scott Hope is, a, a, is just a great competitor, but uh, that opened up a lot of doors for me, Chris. Uh, playing in the Masters, uh, playing in the, in the World Series of Golf, which my father was running at the time up at Firestone in 1978. It was great to get back there. Um, played a number of professional events, uh, you know, that next spring, um, you know, leading into the NCAA. So I, we were prepared. I was prepared to, you know, for basically anything that came my way. 
John, just a couple more before I let you go. And you break through and get your first PGA Tour victory at the 81 Bing Crosby National Pro-Am, which I'm guessing was almost like a, a home game for you. And yeah. as I was going back and looking over that tournament, you finished well in advance of the other guys that you would ultimately end up facing in a playoff. Was it agonizing? Waiting around? Was it oh. exciting? What was that like for you? So we didn't start the event, Chris, until Saturday. We got rained out Thursday and Friday. So now it's going to be a three-round event on three different golf courses. So we were going to end on Monday. So guys were everywhere. They were at, they were at Pebble Beach, Spyglass. They were at Cypress Point finishing on 9 and 18. Uh, nobody knew what really what was going on. There was no electronic scoreboards. There was some scoreboards you know, around the golf courses. But you really didn't know, and I got done fairly early, like you said. Uh, Barney Thompson actually was in the very first group out. I think he, I'm not sure where he finished, uh, but he was in the first group out and, and done. Um, I was not far behind, so I had a lot of time. And when I got done, you know, like, you know, seven or eight or nine under par was leading. I think I finished at seven, um, but, you know, I, I just somebody was going to break loose and, and, and beat that. Well. I got in the scoring tent, and they, they had a radio, and they said, if there's a playoff, you're going to play off at number one at Pebble Beach. You know, so I had a good, you know, solid hour, hour and a half to wait around, and sure enough, you know, the kind of the wind came up, and the fog came in, and next thing you know, 10 under became 8 under, became 7 under, and I uh, find myself in a playoff there at, uh, at Pebble Beach. So I was on the putting green when they said, okay, there's five guys left standing. Let's go. And off we went um, down number one at uh, Pebble Beach, five of us. And, uh, you know, it's, I had one to state amateur there in 75, state high school in 76 there. So um, I was a, you know, great fan of Pebble Beach and very, very special to be, uh, you know, the Bing Crosby champion there. Nate, uh, Nathaniel Crosby um, was a big part of the tournament. Cap, the captain was still around. Unfortunately, Bing had passed, but, uh, you know, we had all become very good friends, and you know, I'll just never forget the you know walking off that third playoff hole, you know, making a par against Hale Irwin and winning, and you know, my wife was there, and um, you know, we she she was pregnant with our first child. I mean, this is real golf. This is real life. When you know you're out, and you're 23 years old, and and you you got a baby on the way. You're newly married, and you know you're winning golf tournaments. I mean, it, it just uh, you know you can't make this stuff up. And you win $40,000 that week. Yeah. And I'm sure at the time you felt like you were a millionaire. Jim Herman just wins $1.1 million this past weekend at the, at the Wyndham Championship. Talk about thinking, you know, $40,000 was all the money in the world. Now looking at what guys are winning. You know, what was interesting, too, was a three-round event, so they cut the purse by a quarter. So we, I didn't get the full... I didn't get the full full amount, which I think was like going to be fifty four thousand. So it was, uh, wow. you know, but that's what it was. You know, that's what it was back in those days. And you know, a win is a win. I've got all the crystal. I've got the trophy. Um, you can always say, hey, you know, what if I'd have won, been this, you know, done this, you know, in this in this time, uh, it would be different. But you know what? It, we were. That's what we did. We were professional golfers. I had a you know, a, a great support system. My wife, who, you know, we're still married 40-some years later. Um, you know, couldn't have done it without her. And uh, that's what we did, you know. We traveled, we played golf, 
we made a living, we raised a family, and we kept moving along. And, you know, 40 years later, here we are, still doing the same thing. John, before I let you go, um, you're in the Legends uh, Tournament this coming weekend. You're doing a wonderful golf show now on uh, on Sirius XM. Let our listeners know about how they can stay up to date with all the great things you're doing, uh, whether it's on social media or on your uh, on your show. Yeah, it's great. Uh, so we, we uh, Craig Tan and I do a show on Sirius XM on Monday afternoons from three to four o'clock p.m. on uh, uh, Sirius XM ninety two or XM ninety two Sirius two hundred eight. Uh, you can always get me at uh, John Cook Golf uh, on Twitter. Uh, I do some Instagram, but it's mainly for families and friends. I I, I do answer some Twitter stuff, but um, it's uh, you know I have a great time doing the, the show with with Craig. He's such a professional. Uh, we have great guests. It's called Connected for a Reason. Like all the people and you know through through the game of golf and through the entertainment industry and through business. Uh, everybody that has a connection in golf, we try to get on the show. Uh, that's why we call it Connected. And, um, you know, I, I still do – I do mostly uh, a lot of stuff for Golf Channel and the, and the PGA Tour Champions. Uh, so uh, I, I do a lot of that. So, you know, I'm in the side of the business that Ken Venturi actually ended up as well. So it's kind of a roundabout uh, way to, to honor the great man, Ken Venturi. And you know, like my wife says, uh, all of a sudden – I'm talking for a living, and I probably didn't say 15 words in the first 20 years of our marriage. I was that shy. <laughs> so uh, she says, I've got it all built up. So I'm having a blast doing the radio show. I'm having a blast doing television. You know, I'm out playing again and uh, and trying to compete. But you know what? I'm going to have some fun this next couple of weeks and, uh, and enjoy the great game that we're all associated with. Well, John, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come and be a part of the show. You're fantastic. I hope uh, we get the privilege of catching up with you again sometime. Anytime, Chris, anytime. Love to talk about golf. Love to talk about this great game and all the connections that we have. Thank you very much. Thank you, John. Stay safe. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up again soon. I appreciate it. Thank you. See you, John. That's a great John Cook, and he comes as billed. A great guy with a great golf swing that uh, did, a, did a heck of a lot, achieved a lot out on both the PGA Tour and so far out on the Champions Tour. I love the fact that yeah, he's going in with the mindset of, of winning. I love that. And, uh, and having a good time, right? Because at the end of the day, that's what this great game is about. Enjoying the, the people that you're out playing with, having a really good time, and, uh, and going in with a mindset that, uh, why can't I win? Uh, his show like he mentioned, connected with John Cook on Sirius XM. He and Craig can. Craig was on the show uh, a couple of weeks ago. The two of those guys together are magic. So I can't recommend that show enough. John, a fantastic player. You go back and you look at his time at Ohio State and all of the great golfers, including obviously Jack Nicholas and Tom Weiskopf, that played their college golf there. And John's name is right at the top of the list for wins and uh, what he was able to achieve there. Again, three-time All-American. They won the Big Ten Championship all three years he was there, wins a, a USM or wins a national championship. Hard to top that. So a great career and a great guy. Look forward to having him back on soon. Is this the year you want to grow your business? Do you want to expand your team, build a new office? Hey, it's Tug, and I want to tell you about First Liberty Building and Loan. Aren't you exhausted by going to lenders, building a relationship, and a week later you're dealing with a new person? 
You won't have to with First Liberty Building and Loan. The Frost family has been helping businesses grow since the 90s, and they can help you too. They know the patterns, they know the ebbs and flows, and they know business. Now the Frost family wants to know you. FirstLibertyGA.com. Buying a building, building a building, buying a franchise, or expanding. Reach out and spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a fit for them and if they're a fit for you. FirstLibertyGA.com. By the way, if you're a young banker and you want to work with a team that's faith-friendly with a culture of excellence, First Liberty might be a good match. Reach out to First Liberty Building and Loan at FirstLibertyGA.com. That's FirstLibertyGA.com.